I'm just going to pray and then hand it over to Isaac, who's going to bring his first ever message. Now, he needs your support. You need to cheer him on as he comes. He's a wee bit nervous. I was afraid a few hours back when I was talking that he was going to pull out of tonight. That was a very real possibility, but he's here and we're here to support him and uh, be blessed by God's Word. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we want to be people that put our hope and trust in you. And so I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would remind us all there's only one firm place that we can put our hope in, and that is in you, Lord. And so we choose to do that right now. And we just ask now as your word is open and read that your spirit, Lord, would speak to each and every one of us, both here in the room and those online. Lord, have your way. Speak because we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give Isaac a cheer as he comes? Wow, what a welcome. Jeez. Still going. Thank you to the right side of the room there. Um, how blessed are we, church, to be able to have Jono and Yvonne and the Schroeder family leading this church? Can we just give a round of applause to them? Such a blessing. Um, so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at varying topics in regard to Christmas. We looked at Christmas as a time for celebration, for joy, for freedom and restoration. And this week, we're going to be looking at Christmas, a time for hope. Now, I do want to inform you, all, as Jono said, and I wasn't going to pull out, I'm not going to pull out. Um, this is my first time preaching in the larger church, so you'll have to bear with me as I navigate this message. We're going to do it together. And I also want to apologise to the camera operator in advance. For those of you who know me, or maybe you don't even really need to know me to know this, but I like to move around a bit, so I'm sorry if it, it's a bit shaky, but hopefully it's not going to be too distracting and we can learn something here tonight. So Christmas is a time for hope. And the scripture that I felt that God was laying on my heart and the one we're going to help, to, to, well, the one we're going to use to help navigate us through this topic is Luke 1 verses 26 to 38. And to give you a little bit of background for this scripture, God's chosen people, Israel, at this time, they knew because of the prophecies in the Old Testament that there would be a Messiah coming and they believed that he would liberate them from Roman oppression. However, at the time between the Old and New Testaments was extremely difficult for the nation of Israel. Not a single prophet or divine spokesperson appeared before the nation during this time between the Old and the New Testaments. So for more than 400 years, the heavens seemed closed to the nation of Israel. They heard nothing from God, nothing but silence, until this moment in Luke where the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and God's voice once again graced the land. So this is a very pivotal and important moment in the biblical narrative. So now let's read Luke 1, 26 to 38. And if you've got Bibles here, you can read along with me on your phone as well. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's, the virgin's name was Mary and the angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is actually in her sixth month of pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. So now for some of us, the answer to why Christmas is a time for hope it seems quite obvious. It is the reminder that God sent his one and only son to die for us so that we can have the hope of eternal life with him. And while that is true, I want to kind of dig deeper tonight and find out what is hope? How is it biblically defined? And how does it interact with Mary and this scripture here in Luke 1? What's our understanding of hope? What do we place our hope in? What does it mean when we use the word hope? Everyone has said, or at least heard someone say, when they use the word hope, everyone has heard or at least heard someone say, that they hope their team makes the finals. They hope that it rains this week. They hope that it's not busy at the shops in the lead up to Christmas, which it always is. But when we say hope or talk about hope, there's always this little twinge of doubt. For example, someone might ask you, are you going to get that raise you're after? Are you going to be able to make it to the Christmas dinner? Are you going to be able to come to church on time for the Christmas day service? And you might reply, yeah, look, I hope so. But even if there could be a solid chance that something might happen, when the word hope is used, it's always overshadowed with the thoughts or expectations of possibly being let down. We cannot be 100% certain. And our contemporary world seems to struggle with this concept of real hope. And it reminds me from a scene that I saw in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Has anyone seen that movie? Yeah, good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's basically about a guy who goes to prison and he escapes. Bit of spoilers there. But they get out. One scene has one of the guys called Red. He's sitting at a group, sitting with a group of people at a table with other inmates. And he's sitting there. And this guy, Andy, comes back from spending one week in solitary confinement. He comes out and he sits down with them. And they're like, how'd you do it? Like, how did you find it? What was it like? And Andy describes how he had classical music playing in his head and the beauty of the world he once saw before prison. And those things in his mind gave him hope to get through prison and to experience that when he, won, when he, when he gets out. And so Red hears this and he bluntly says, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Red had lost hope in ever seeing the outside world or living a normal life. And I think that can be the same for you and I sometimes. Because of certain circumstances or situations in our life, our attitude towards hope is cynical and untrusting. However, biblically defined, hope seems to be the complete opposite. True hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. It is not simply a trembling, hesitant hope that the promises of God may be true. It is the confident expectation that they cannot be anything else than true. How awesome is that? Like when I read that, I just get so excited. True hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. It's a confidence that based in God's character and it's rooted in a sense of certainty. But why then in our personal relationship with God and our everyday lives, do we struggle to discover this confidence and trust in the promises that God has given us and the things that he's asked us to do? And I believe when I was reading Luke 1, I believe there's two main barriers that contribute to the doubt that we encounter regarding God's promises. And the first is human logic or human doubt. And we see this unfolding in Luke 1 with Mary. The angel of the Lord just appears to her and drops this massive bomb on her that she's going to give birth to the son of the most high God. So just think about this picture from Mary's perspective for a little bit. Is anyone in here or watching online between the age of 12 and 14? Because that's, commentators believe that's the age that Mary was when this angel appeared to her and she had this conversation. That alone is just insane to process. I didn't even know what I was doing when I was 12 or 14. Imagine if an angel appeared to you and said, you are going to be the mother of the most high God. So Mary is really just this girl from a humble family background. 
Nobody thought of her as anything special. Nobody expected God to select her for any major task. It defied human logic. The fact that she'd been chosen to bear the Messiah for her was just inconceivable. And she expresses her difficulty in understanding what the angel was there for. In verse 29, it says that she was greatly confused and troubled by the angel's words and wondered what this appearance might mean. It just didn't make sense to her. When the angel told her that she would give birth to a son named Jesus, she was again confused and asked, how could this possibly happen? I'm a virgin. Like that just doesn't make sense. Like it's not going to happen. But the angel replied and said, even Elizabeth, your relative at her old age is going to have a child. Even though she was the one that was said to be unconceivable, she was the one who was said to be unable to conceive, but yet she is in her sixth month of pregnancy for no word from God will ever fail. So we can see Mary grappling here with her own human logic. And just like you and I would in that situation, here's this young woman going, look, I understand that God's been silent to our nation for 400 years. And now you're telling me, me, Mary, like I'm the one that's going to bear the Messiah. She goes, no, 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 no. Like I'm a virgin. Like, how is this possible? Like, that's not going to happen. I don't think you understand, Angel Gabriel. Like, I'm a virgin. This can't actually happen. And he replies, the angel replies to her and said, no, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you and you will give birth to the Holy One, the Son of God. How often do we let our doubts or logic get in the way of the things that God has promised us or the things he's asked us to do? This is the human struggle we are all very familiar with. And right throughout history, God's people have had to step into hope, even when it looked illogical. And this always is actually the first step in discovering hope in God. You've got to step in before the full plan is actually unveiled. So that's the first barrier to hope, is our own human logic and doubts. But that's not all. We also have to deal with what others say and think about the things that God has asked of us. So the next barrier to overcome, the second one, is what other people say and what they think. And although there's no direct evidence in Luke 1 that exactly highlights this, we can gather and we can assume what people might have been thinking about Mary's situation. Even Joseph, her own husband, doubted that Mary was really hearing from God. He was in disbelief and we see from the corresponding passage in Matthew that he actually planned to divorce her quietly and he's not planning on continuing the relationship and I wouldn't blame him to be honest. Like, can you imagine how that conversation would have gone? Like they're sitting at the dinner table and they're having dinner and then Mary goes, I've got to tell you something, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine his reaction to that? They're not even married, right? And she's having a baby. She goes, no, Joey, honey, Joey, honey, I've got a completely completely normal explanation for this, right? An angel appeared to me and I got pregnant. Like, you can imagine his response to this. Oh, that's what they all say. Like, he would, have, he would have been so shocked and so upset with the whole situation. So you can totally understand why he planned to end the relationship. But again, just imagine that dynamic between Joseph and Mary. Here's your husband, the one that is supposed to believe in you and supposed to be on board with the whole situation. And here he is ready to turn his back and walk away from it all. And he would not have been the only one who would have had all these negative re reactions to this news. It would have been the talk of the town. People would have been saying, can you believe that Mary's pregnant outside of marriage? She must have been sleeping around. All these things would have been going around that she would have had to deal with. But haven't we all experienced this at some stage? God has given us a promise and has told us something important and we're fully, fully on board, fully there. But as soon as we hear what other people think about and what other people have to say about the things that God has asked us to do, we don't want to do it. And just verbally saying these things to others, what we have felt that God impressed on our spirit can sometimes sound ridiculous. And it reminds me of a story that I shared with Jono and the young adults at an emerging leaders dinner, one of the nights that we had. And we do this thing called God Moments and it's basically... 
where we share maybe something in our week where God, maybe we, we felt like God was particularly present or was trying to tell us something. Maybe there was an answer to prayer. And so it got round to my turn. And just to give you a little bit of background to this story, um, at the time I was doing a subject at Bible college called Theology for Everyday Life. And it was basically that subject goes in depth and looks at like how God is outworked in the mundane, the little things, the everyday life. So that's the angle I was coming from when I was going to explain this story. And so it begins, right? I was sitting on the toilet, like all good stories begin with that. So I was sitting there on the toilet and I was sitting there, right? And this little cockroach just comes underneath the door and he's cruising around. And I did what any self-respecting man would do. And I thought, I'm going to crush that cockroach, right? And I looked at it and it comes around. And then as soon as I was about to crush it, God spoke to me and he goes, no, no, no. Like, you're not touching that cockroach. What has that cockroach ever done to you? And I felt so strongly that God was telling me, Isaac, you need to be more gentle. You need to learn how to be more gentle. I was like, are you kidding me? It's a cockroach. Like, I get that you're trying to tell me things to do, but it's a cockroach. Like, surely that would void the, like, surely I don't actually have to do it. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this cockroach. I'm like, man, this is your lucky day. Like, and I'm explaining, but I was actually having a God moment there sitting on the toilet. And I'm going, wow, like, geez, like I can be more gentle. There's so many things that I could be doing in this area that I still need to work on to this day. And I'm sitting there explaining this to everyone at the Emerging Leaders and they're all laughing at me. They're like, is that even a real God moment? Like it's a cockroach, like you're sitting on the toilet. Like, and it was just, I was a laughing stock there. But when I started to see everyone laughing at me, and it was funny, right? But everyone's laughing at me. For me, that was actually a real thing. And the follow-up conversations I had with God there was like, it was, that was a proper moment that I had. But as soon as everyone started laughing, I was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's not as serious. Maybe it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe is God speaking to me in that way? But as soon as people started to do that, I was questioning it. And there's this quote here that says, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you and the things he's asked of you. I'll just say that again. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you and the things he's asked of you. And the reality is for most of us, we do drift towards wanting to please people. What do you think of me? Do you like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Do you like what I'm doing? Can I be a part of your club? Can we be friends? Do you think I'm doing the right thing? Do you like my post? Are you still attracted to me? Am I enough? And suddenly without even meaning to, we begin to surrender our lives to the opinions of others. And in the process, we lose that grip on what God has told us. And we need to wrestle with the fact that pleasing God can sometimes mean disappointing people. It's important that we stay humble enough to hear from wise people in our lives, but we can't let what God has told us or asked of us be lost in that process. So that's the bad news, right? So we've got the doubts, our own human logic and our doubts, and what other people say and think about the things that God's asked of us. But enough of that. Let's talk about the solutions now. How can we be a people who grab hold of godly hope? And just as Luke 1 gave us insight into these two hope barriers, it also offers us two hope builders, giving us some clarity into how we can better put our hope in the promises of God. And so as this conversation with the angel Gabriel and Mary unfolds, young Mary, remember we're talking 12 to 14, right? Comes out with the most profound response. So she's having this conversation with the angel. Essentially, he's saying, look, you're going to mother God. Like, that's it. And then she's, at the end of the conversation, she replies and says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How insane is that state? Like when I was reading that, I was like, what the heck? Like she's just had a conversation with an angel. Like I think sometimes we 
tend to overlook the intensity of these situations when we read it. Like when I read the Bible, I'm like, okay, an angel appeared to Mary and they had the con. Oh, wait, an angel, she's talking to an angel. Like I don't know about you guys, but I don't talk to angels on the regular. I don't know if you guys like catch up with angels for coffee or whatever, but if you do, let me know where you're having that coffee because I want to be there, right? And she's only 12 and she's been told that she's going to bear the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course, she had her doubts and wondered why the angel was there and how it could even be possible as she's a virgin. But despite everything that went down in that conversation, in that short space of time, she surrendered before God and said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How awesome is that statement? She has no idea exactly what's going to happen next. She doesn't have the complete roadmap of how this journey is going to play out. But she surrendered and said, I'm here to serve you, Lord. I'm all in. I'm not sure exactly what's ahead of me, but may your word to me be fulfilled. Church, are you all in for God? Are you surrendering to him, giving him full control? What are the things in your life that he's asking you to do or that he's declared over that you need to step into and take a hold of? I'm not sure about you, but when I read that story, I'm super encouraged because if Mary at that young age with those sorts of circumstances can surrender before God and say, let it be, then you and I can too. So the first hope barrier was our own human logic and doubts. And the hope builder in response to that is surrender. So as we read further from verses 39 to 45, Mary, following this encounter with angel Gabriel, she gets ready and she goes into town to meet with her relative Elizabeth. And as you can imagine, after having an experience like that, you'd want to go to see someone you know and explain the whole story to them, right? So reading from verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried into town, into the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb. The baby leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So here we have Mary coming off the back of this crazy encounter. She's gotten ready and she's on her way to tell Elizabeth the whole story. And as you can imagine, she probably would have had an array of emotions going through her head at this time. Maybe she was excited, maybe a bit nervous, maybe a bit stressed or shaken after the whole ordeal. But I would like to think that on the way there, she's planning on how she's going to explain this whole story to Elizabeth. On her way there, she's going, this is actually insane. Like, did I just see an angel? Like, am I going to be the one that's going to bear the Messiah? Like, is Elizabeth even going to believe me? Is she even going to understand what's going on? What's she going to have to say about this whole thing? So that's kind of mulling over in her mind. And she finally arrives at the door, knocks. She would have done the knock, you know. You've got to do the knock. Everyone knows the knock. So that's mulling her head. She arrives. And as soon as she walks in, she greets Elizabeth. And as soon as she does that, Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So here Mary is, super excited to bring this news to her best mate Lizzie. And as soon as she does, Lizzie already knows exactly what's going to happen. Without Mary even having to explain a single piece of the story, she just gets in, says g'day, and then Elizabeth goes, Yep, you're going to bear the Messiah pretty much. Like, that's a bit of a killjoy for, for Mary. She's getting pretty excited about telling the story. And Elizabeth already knows. But Elizabeth instantly affirmed exactly what God had declared over Mary. And that's what the second hope builder is. It's a secondary witness or an affirmation. 
So the second hope barrier that we discovered earlier was what people say and what they think about us and what God has asked us to do. But the hope builder in response to that is seeking affirmation from a secondary witness. Finding someone wiser than you that you trust that is going to be able to affirm and give you direction on something God's asking you to do. It might be a mentor or an elder, maybe a grandparent, an uncle or auntie, or maybe even an older brother or sister. But when we look again at Mary's situation, I do truly think that she was going to Elizabeth to discuss it and find out what Elizabeth thought about this whole situation. And when Elizabeth responded and spoke to Mary in the way that she did, I believe that in that moment, Mary had no doubt that this is exactly what God wanted her to do. Even if she was afraid, she knew. And sometimes that's exactly what you and I need. We need someone that's going to be able to give us direction and clarity regarding what God has asked us to do. And as we're ready to close out, if we look back at the biblical definition for hope, it is the confident expectation of what God has promised. It is not simply a trembling, hesitant hope that the promises of God may be true. It is the confident expectation that they cannot be anything else than true. And I believe, and what I've learned from the story here in Luke 1, is that there's a three-step process to developing this hope and this confidence in the promises of God. And I call it the RSS method. The first R is receive the word. Understand what God's trying to talk to you and how he might be trying to talk to you. Mary had a pretty crazy experience where an angel just appeared to her and just told her the whole thing. But it might be different for you and I. It might be through family members. It might be through circumstances or situations. But understand how God is trying to talk to you and receive that word and go, okay, God, I understand that that's for me. The S, surrender to the word. Understand what he's trying to tell you and go, look, God, I'm not necessarily sure what's ahead of me. I'm not necessarily sure what this is going to look like, but I'm all in. I want to be all in for you. Father, may your word to me be fulfilled. Take that servant heart just like Mary did. And the third S, well, the second S, seek a secondary witness. So after you've received the word and you've surrendered to it, you're going, look, I'm all in, I'm ready for this, but I'm still not necessarily sure what's happening. Find someone in your life that's wiser, that's going to be able to give input and give you clarity in this situation. Receive the word, surrender to the word and seek a secondary witness. And as we saw with Mary, you're going to encounter difficulties, you will have doubts, and you're going to have to wrestle with the things others will say about the things God has asked of you. But if we can learn from Mary and begin to work on this method, method receive the word, surrender to the word, and seek a secondary witness, I believe it will become easier for us to take hold of this hope and confidence in our Heavenly Father. So that's all I have to share. I'll invite John up to finish. Thank you. What a great word, hey? What a great word. So a time for surrender right now. What do you need to just surrender to God in this moment and stop fighting the word of the Lord that he's trying to get you to step into? What do you need to surrender? I'll just give you that moment right now to say, Lord, speak to me. Show me what that looks like. God, I just pray in this moment against words that have been spoken over our lives that are holding us back from pursuing you and your call. God, and I pray for fresh courage for each and every one of us to pursue that calling. And I pray for more, God. I pray that you would provide that secondary witness that's been spoken of. That, that person to step in and encourage and confirm the Word of the Lord in a particular direction. We just seek you in these moments, God. We say, speak to us. Let us hear. Let us surrender. 
let us see you bring breakthroughs. In you is our hope. Thank you, Lord.